the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Would 20 years be enough for you? Calogero Duenez uh, was 24. He was uh, carrying a birthday cake for his daughter, and he was headed into a Chuck E. Cheese out in Humble, Texas. He got into an argument with a guy out there, and the guy took out a gun and shot him several times, and he died. Um, That's murder. Suspect is still at large, and I don't know about you, but if someone murders someone I care about, I want that guy to stay in prison as long as the person I cared about stays in his grave, you know, like forever. Well, New York City has a new district attorney, and if this guy uh, who committed this murder in Texas had done it in this guy's city in New York, he wouldn't have to worry about spending more than 20 years in prison. And if the guy who shot the 24-year-old father was under 25 himself, in New York City he might be considered a minor. This is all part of the plan for the new district attorney there. He thinks that should be the case for any criminal who's under 25. And uh, the new district attorney, his name is Alvin Bragg. He put out a memo yesterday that you might find hard to believe. His priority is um, it's not to put people who commit crimes away as much as it is to to do whatever he can to send fewer criminals to prison. He's a big proponent of what's called the decarceration movement. If you're a member of the crime-committing community in New York, this would seem to be pretty good news for you. One way to send fewer people to prison is to reduce the seriousness of the crime, make more felonies misdemeanors. That's part of Bragg's plan. It's all part of the Democrats' plan to improve the lives of criminals in cities. Kind of like the bill introduced out in Washington state that would reduce the punishment for drive-by shootings to, quote, promote racial equity in the criminal legal system. I guess you could do a whole show just on that one sentence of stupidity. Anyway, we'll talk to an expert on all this when we come back after the break. And in our second half hour, Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan phenomenon and what it means to the future of the news media. Stick around. Toss a penny over your shoulder into a fountain and you make a wish. You look into the fountain and you see a lot of pennies, but you see some quarters too. You think to yourself, who throws quarters into a fountain when pennies will do? Now, think about the taxes you could be paying in retirement. Do you want to throw pennies or quarters to Uncle Sam? Beth Andrews and her team at Net Worth Advisors have helped hundreds of Pittsburgh families plan for retirement. They know that not planning for taxes in retirement can drain your savings. So start planning now so you aren't caught off guard in retirement. Call Beth now at 800-426-1428. Together, you'll create a plan designed to help you keep as much of your money as possible. Watch your pennies and your quarters in retirement. Tell Beth Andrews and the Net Worth Advisors team what your retirement wishes are. Call now, 800-426-1428. Firm offers insurance services and may not give tax advice. Networth Advisors, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 123121. All with 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsruspittsburgh.com. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. 
but I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes, I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you. Or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in. Hey, you know, it's uh, New Year's resolution time, and uh, have you or your friends or family resolved to quit smoking with no success? Well, it doesn't have to be a miserable process, you know. You can quit without drama. I'm going to tell you about uh, nicotinetest.com. It was founded by Matt Bars. He's the director of the New York City Fire Department uh, tobacco program. Their science-based approach has a quit rate of 70%, and they can help you. They even offer a money-back guarantee. What it is, in a nutshell, they, they measure your nicotine levels to customize your treatment so that you don't feel miserable. And now, for a limited time, you can get your expert tobacco coaching free with your nicotine test purchase. Their experts will guide you with tips and secrets to finally make quitting a reality. Now, MyNicotineTest.com works with all tobacco products, and that includes vaping and smokeless. If you have questions, call MyNicotineTest at 1-800-45-SMOKE. That's 1-800-45-SMOKE. And you can leave a message if all the tobacco counselors are busy. You have nothing to lose but your addiction. And if you're not a smoker, order a gift card for someone who you care about who is a smoker. And leave. And it's at MyNicotineTest.com. That's MyNicotineTest.com. It's 2022, and this could be the year. This could be the year we finally get a handle on COVID. This could be the year we flip the house back red. And this could be the year Congress finally stops arguing and works together. Yeah, probably not. For what could be and what is in 2022. Keep it right here. Happy New Year. AM 1250, The Answer. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5, The Answer. I told you in the open about the plans that the uh, the new district attorney in Manhattan has for fixing the crime problem up there. And it sure does seem like just a little bit more liberal insanity. Uh, Charles Lehman is a contributing editor at City, City Journal. He spends a lot of time reporting on cities and crime, and he joins us now. Charles, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So, um, Alvin Bragg is the new DA in uh, New York City. He released a memo yesterday that said uh, this, among other things, uh, the office will not seek a carceral sentence other than for homicide or other cases involving death of a victim, a Class B violent felony, domestic violence felonies, sex offenses, public corruption, or major economic crimes. Uh, can you translate what that means uh, and how that will make things different from you know, beginning with the... Uh, uh, the the following of this memo uh, compared to what it was up until this memo didn't exist. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there were two steps in the criminal justice process where people are plausibly incarcerated. One is that they can go to jail before trial, and the other is that they can go to prison after trial. So what Bragg is saying is that uh, his office will, except in a very limited set of circumstances, try as hard as possible not to send people either to jail or to prison. Um, so in effect, what that means is that post-trial, they will seek uh, to either send people, quote-unquote, divert people, so send them into programs where they do work, or they go to drug treatment, or they get mental health treatment, or uh, they work through restorative justice programs um, uh, rather than being sent to prison. And then pretrial, that means that they will be released on their own recognizance or released with a limited bail or some oversight uh, immediately following their arraignment hearing. The, the, the goal in general is to put as few people in jail and as few people in prison as possible. Yeah, so how does this tie in with the, the bail reform that I, I think now exists in New York City already? That they, that they yes, installed? it does. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the, the Alvin Bragg's office has said that they will generally try not to seek bail. There's sort of some ambiguity there. Um, I mean, New York, uh, there have been changes to New York's bail law uh, previously, the general assumption was that most people were released without money bail. Um, they've, they've expanded the number of categories to which people can have money bail assigned. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of aggregate is there's a general push to reduce uh, the use of bail and the use of pretrial detention in general, because the theory is that pretrial detention is uh, costly or harmful. A is costly, B is harmful to incarcerees. Um, and, you know, my, my view on this topic is that is true in some circumstances and not true in others. And the problem with laws like New York's or Alvin Bragg's sort of blanket policies uh, is that they don't allow for fine-grained judgments about who actually would benefit from pretrial detention, i.e., uh, who it would benefit the community to detain pretrial versus who it would not benefit the community to detain pretrial. Well... Um, a, a, a carceral sentence is a new t- term for me. Um, maybe I haven't been around long enough, but that's. It's a, are we saying carceral sentence now is a, a nicer way of saying prison time or jail time or imprisonment? Sure. You know, and and I, right. It's a. It's 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 an effort to lump together those two things. I think the other thing to underscore here is that Bragg is putting a lot of emphasis on these sort of alternatives. Um, to, to incarceration alternatives to detention where uh, there's not a lot of specificity on what he's going to pursue. Some of these are great. Um, if you can put some percent of the jail population on ankle monitoring, that's probably better for the public fisc. Um, other th- others of them, I think, are uh, questionable. If you want to, you know, Bragg talks a lot about, quote-unquote, restorative justice, where you have victims meet with offenders. That's great if the victims want to do it. Um, it may not actually cause the offender to be less likely to offend later on, which is one of the goals. Um, and, you know, I think often this ends up looking like releasing people on recognizance, letting people out, and sort of hoping that they'll show up for court. And, of course, uh, Bragg's office is going to try as hard as possible not to prosecute people for failing to show up for court as well. So, you know, part of what goes on there is that there are, there are a whole host of disincentives that are built into the system for people against people committing crimes. The Bragg is saying, we're not going to pursue this disincentives. We're going to try to make punishment less, much less unpleasant. And that's going to, uh, I think people affect people's propensity to commit crime. Yeah. Um, one of the things he says, uh, in this memo, he's, he's declaring no more life sentences without parole. That's kind of a, a, a blanket statement to make. Uh, cause I think most people would, would say that, there, there are things that there are crimes out there that would seem to um, be deserving of a life sentence without parole, not just because of from yeah. the punishment factor, but because you want to make 100 percent sure this guy or this person never sees the streets again. Right. And, you know, uh, a lot like that parole is the most severe punishment available in New York State because they don't have the death penalty. And there are yeah. obviously offenders who both from a justice perspective and from a deterrence perspective, you want to be able to use it on. If you're talking about a guy like Stifulo Saipov, who's the guy who drove a pickup truck onto the sidewalk in the middle of downtown Manhattan uh, and killed a bunch of people, he would be in Bragg's jurisdiction. We said to Bragg's jurisdiction, that's an obvious case where he should get the harshest penalty available. 
on this terrorist attack in the middle of Manhattan should be treated as such. Uh, people who kill cops, you want to severely deter that. And so you want to say, if you kill a cop, go in prison forever. Um, and then the other question is, what do you do about uh, offenders who commit crimes while in prison? If you don't have any more, you know, if somebody's in there for 20 years, which is the maximum the Bragg's office is going to charge, and they commit a crime, they, they attack somebody in prison, they kill somebody in prison, you can't charge them with a longer sentence. You know, the, the point of having this longer sentence is partially deterrent when people are already in prison. So there are lots of cases where the public would say, yes, we want the harsher sentence, and Bragg is just taking that off the table. He's saying 20 years is going to be max for, uh, frankly, I think, running up against uh, the express will of the people of the state of New York as expressed through the legislature. So if a, if a 20-year-old person commits a murder, he's out when he's 40? Yeah, at, at, at most. That's the maximum, that's the maximum uh, time the Bragg's office can be willing to charge. That's concerning, A, from a justice perspective. That doesn't seem adequate to, at least to me. And B, it's concerning from a you know, from a future dangerousness perspective, by the time that guy's 40, he's still plausibly at risk for reoffending, if not through murder, than some other serious offense. If he gets a mur- commits a murder when he's 16, uh, right. actually one of, the, one of the most alarming things in the memo that we haven't talked about is that Bragg says he's going to reduce charges to people under the ages of 25. Um, offenders over 18 and under 25 account for a large share of violent crimes. He says they're less responsible because they're impulsive. The brains aren't fully formed in my responses. Yeah, because they're impulsive and their brains aren't fully formed, they're much more likely to commit heinous violent offenses. Um, so, you know, I think, I think in that situation, if you're maxing out, if somebody's 18, they get out when they're 38 for a serious violent offense, they still have years of potential offending ahead of them. Uh, and that's a real concern to the public. Yeah, I saw that in there that, that uh, part of his... Um, reasoning here is that the brain doesn't develop, is still developing until 25. So a 24 and a half year old person uh, should be treated differently than a 26 year old person who commits a crime. Uh, what yeah, what I mean, kind you know, of insanity I, I, is this? Yeah, I think you know there are there are a couple of things going on there. At root, what he's doing is smuggling in uh, a unilateral raising of the age of majority. The state of New York says the age of majority is 18. And Alvin Bragg says, no, I think the age of majority should be 25, and that's how I'm going to behave. And, you know, part of what's alarming about the policies pursued by Bragg and other quote-unquote progressive prosecutors is that they seek to override, again, the express democratic will of the people of their states or their cities in saying, no, I don't think these crimes should be charged. Um, I, I'm not qualified to com- comment on the neuroscience. Frankly, I doubt Bragg is either, but I'm deeply suspicious of the idea that suddenly 25-year-olds are not equivalently competent to 26-year-olds. 24-year-olds are not equivalently morally competent 26-year-olds for crimes that they commit. Um, I think that's that's not a view that people have taken throughout most American history. I don't think they should start taking it now. Uh, he says that um, this is these these policies are based on his personal experience of having, uh, among other things, a homicide victim uh, and his, finding a homicide victim on his doorstep and things like that. How does this justify anything? And um, obviously, in his mind, it does. Yeah, you know, and Bragg alludes to his sort of diverse experiences, both on on both ends of the criminal justice system. Uh, I think that there's a sense in which that diversity of experience is important and laudatory and a a public servant. That's valuable knowledge. He knows what it's like uh, both to be victimized by crime and to be victimized by the worst of the criminal justice system. I get that. Um, at the end of the day, I think that we have to ask questions about not what has Alvin Bragg experienced, but what is good for the community, what is beneficial to the law-abiding citizens of Manhattan. And you know, I'll take a, I'll take an example again that we haven't talked about. One of the stipulations in Bragg's memo is that if you commit an armed robbery, but the the weapon that you use cannot plausibly use cause deadly force. So if I if I commit an armed robbery with a toy gun, I get charged for petty larceny. So if I if I menace a shopkeeper. I, he, I, I have a gun painted, you know, an airsoft gun painted to look like a real gun. I menace a shopkeeper with it, uh, and he make him give me all my his money. But I couldn't technically have killed him with it. It's petty larceny. Um, you know, I think I think do we want to tolerate that kind of behavior is the most important question. Far more important than what has Alvin Bragg experienced or not experienced in his life. We're talking to Charles Lehman. He's a contributing editor at City Journal, uh, talking about the. The new policy, um, uh, as by way of a memo introduced by the new uh, district attorney in New York City, Alvin Bragg, uh, is this something 
especially when you look, uh, Charles, at what's happening in other cities, should we look at this as a possible trend, uh, or, is it all, or is it already a trend? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, Alvin Bragg's uh, predecessor um, was also sort of in the same vein. There was that progressive prosecution. Um, the Bronx DA, the Brooklyn DA's office, are both um, informed by progressive prosecution. You know, there's a larger movement that's been going on for the past decade and change in the United States, where people have realized uh, local prosecutors command enormous discretion over what is and is not charged, and so they can execute. Uh, dramatic changes to the criminal justice system. They can say, we're not going to charge this crime anymore, and it's really hard to stop them. And so uh, individuals committed quote-unquote criminal justice reform will get elected to these positions, which often are very low turnout races. You know, people won't pay attention. Um, and the result is that they exercise enormous power, uh, and they use that power. You look at uh, Philadelphia's Larry Krasner, Cook County, Illinois, Chicago is, Kim Fox, uh, Chester Boudin in San Francisco, you know, it's, it's hard to isolate the effect of these guys versus all of the other changes we've seen to the criminal justice system. But I think that what they are doing is contributing to a reduction in the capacity of the criminal justice system, both to police uh, minor but ser- still serious offenses, and also just sort of the general legitimacy of the criminal justice system, the sense that offenders have that if they commit a crime, they will be punished. And that matters an enormous amount for people taking the law seriously. Um, I, I, I'm a little confused, too, about, I and mean, you mentioned this uh, restorative justice. Uh, what does he mean when he says, and this is a quote, using restorative justice as a mitigating factor in the length of sentences only when victims or their loved ones consent? What, what yeah, so exactly I mean, is restorative justice as opposed to just, like, you know, justice? Yeah, I mean, so, so restorative justice conferencing, it's practice where you bring together the offender and victims, and you talk through the offense and you say what happened and how can we make this right. I have nothing against restorative sentence. It was sort of uh, just conferencing in practice. I think it's a potentially very valuable tool in certain contexts. You know, the, the emotional and spiritual impacts of crime matter too, and we should acknowledge that. That said, I am skeptical that it has the ability to profoundly change uh, many offenders proclivity to reoffend. I'm happy to consider it a factor in sentencing, sentencing is a complicated undertaking, but I think Bragg puts so much emphasis on what is ultimately not a particularly well-proved practice, um, in large part because he is looking for any excuse to not use incarceration as a tool. Um, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with restorative, with, uh, with restorative justice being a tool in the tool belt of the criminal justice system, but let's not imagine it's a panacea, because it's not. Yeah, this all would seem to me as a as a layman and just somebody sitting out here as a radio guy, um, I would think that this would be uh, seen in the crime-committing community as pretty good news. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I, I think that Bragg has sent an unambiguous message to criminals in Manhattan, which is that we will do everything in our power to make sure that you do not go to jail and you do not go to prison unless you commit... Uh, a homicide or a serious violent felony with a gun or a white-collar crime, we will make sure that you do not get detained pre-trial. We'll make sure that you do not get sent to prison post-trial. We absolutely think it's necessary. And my response is like, first of all, I think that will lead to more violent crimes because you will not detain those people before they commit violent crimes. But second of all, it's going to lead to an uptick in precisely those offenses, and those offenses are harmful to New Yorkers as well. If you say we're going to stop detaining thieves pre-trial and we're going to stop incarcerating thieves post-trial. We're going to stop uh, using the criminal justice system to punish theft. You can expect an increase in theft, and that's going to be really harmful. And, you know, New York is already facing a crisis of population. People are fleeing the city in record numbers. And if the Manhattan DA's office is going to say, well, we don't really believe in enforcing against crime anymore. That's going to be an issue for their population and tax base. Well, uh, I'm out of time, Charles. I appreciate you coming on, but uh, this all seems to me uh, to come down to you deserve what you vote for. And uh, yeah, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. But thank you, thank you for having me on. Hey, thank you very much, Charles. Uh, that's Charles Lehman of the uh, City Journal. We'll be right back.
With SRN News, I'm John Scott. A fire in a Philadelphia duplex has killed over a dozen people, including children. Officials in Philadelphia were visibly shaken as they updated the media on what could be the single deadliest fire in the city in over 100 years. Mayor Jim Kinney. Losing so many kids is just devastating. Deputy Fire Commissioner Craig Murphy says numbers could grow, but at least 13 people, including seven children, were killed. Eight people escaped and two others were taken to area hospitals. This is probably one of the worst fires I've ever been to. Murphy says the fire is under investigation. There were four smoke detectors in that building and none of them operated. 26 people were staying in the two public housing units in the divided row house, with 18 people in the upstairs apartment. I'm Jennifer King. Stocks are moving lower now. The Dow is down 196 points. The Nasdaq off 375. This is SRN News. Your pets have the same energy they used to. Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dinovite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dinovite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dinovite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today's commercial pet foods are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dynavite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dynavite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. She is listening all the time and getting smarter every day. When you want the conservative perspective on today's most pressing issues, Alexa has the answer. You just have to point her in the right direction by saying, Alexa, enable the Answer Pittsburgh skill. Now say, Alexa, play the Answer Pittsburgh to get your favorite conservative talk station without lifting a finger. Look, Ma, no hands. So, Alexa, what's your favorite station? That's easy. AM 1250, the answer. And now an important message from Exergen. A critical new FDA study proves that non-contact thermometers are not accurate. They also have inaccurate information on their labels regarding accuracy. New COVID strains are on the rise, and non-contact manufacturers are being irresponsible. At a time when accuracy matters, accurate temperature measurements are essential. Switch to Exergen because they are accurate and backed by over 100 clinical studies. Be sure, be accurate with Exergen. Learn more at exergen.com. Dr. Gorka here, and you know me. I I am very cynical about products, especially those that claim to help people suffering from pain. So when I tell you that Relief Factor truly works, I want you to know that I mean it. I suffered from a stiff lower back for almost a decade, one so painful it made it difficult to kneel in church on Sundays. When I finally decided to give Relief Factor a try, I didn't ever imagine that I would find myself free of the pain. But that's what happened. Now I take Relief Factor every day day. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. WPG Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. On outbound 28, still seeing that accident out there near the Highland Park Bridge. Delays from Route 8 on up. Parkway West, a little busy outbound. Parkway Center Drive to Carnegie. At the moment, Parkway East not doing too badly. 576 Finley Connector. You'll see that down to one lane at William Penn Highway. And Mon Wharf still remains shut down with flooding concerns. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. 
Weather. It'll be breezy this evening. Otherwise, we'll see mostly cloudy skies tonight, low 18. Tomorrow, considerable cloudiness with a bit of afternoon snow accumulating a coating to an inch will reach a high of 28. Tomorrow night, one to three inches of snow. Untreated surfaces will be slippery, the low 18. Friday, breezy in the morning with a passing flurry. We'll see a thick cloud cover. It'll be cold with a high of 25. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, you know, Tucker Carlson is the uh, the king of cable news right now. He has the best ratings in prime time. But there's a guy out there who's uh, getting three times what Carlson gets. That would be Joe Rogan. He's a podcaster. Uh, the Joe Rogan experience is reaching 11 million people per episode. Tucker Carlson gets about 3.24 million per show. So what does this mean for the legacy or dinosaur media, if you want to call it that, uh, Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill and FoxNews.com. He joins us now. Good to have you back, Jeff. It's been a while since we've spoken. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. Happy New Year to you. It's nice same, to be with you. Same to you. So uh, 20 years ago, very few people ever heard of a podcast. And now there's a guy out there blowing conventional media away. What, what does it say about where the news media are now and where they're going, do you think? Well, it says, it says a lot of things, and this is a really interesting discussion to have, I think, because R- Rogan is very hard to nail down politically. You know, he's on board with most of the liberal social notions, but he also supports the Second Amendment, and he's against cancel culture. He's questioned the kind of liberal orthodoxy on vax mandates and COVID and that sort of thing. Uh, but leftists don't like him because he's not pure to them. Uh, but anyway, he's he's an interesting figure because he he's hard to pin down. But I think one thing we can say for him is that he's anti-establishment. And I think that's the voice that he's putting out there that is resonating right now with so many people. Uh, you know, when you think that he's got 11 million people watching every one of his episodes on his podcast, uh, that's that's pretty remarkable. Uh, but. You know, he, he clearly doesn't care who he offends. He clearly wants to call it like he sees it. Uh, he's not beholding to big economic establishment, big education establishments, big entertainment establishments. He's basically becoming his own establishment in a sense. But uh, he's not beholding to big tech. Obviously, big tech is you know doesn't want to see him survive. I mean, um, they're happy to try to you know, shut down the broad discussions that he seems to want to have, including particularly on COVID and vaccination uh, mandates and that sort of thing. So he's a very interesting character, and uh, I don't think we should take him lightly. Uh, people in the, in the news media, I think, should look to him and say, what is it that he's doing that resonates with so many people? And, you know, it might be 11 million, you know, per podcast, but he's generating discussion well beyond those 11 million people because I know that other media outlets talk about what he talks about. So if he brings something up that's of interest, you know, it'll show up getting discussed on Newsmax or Fox News or maybe even the other ones, the other cable channels as well. But uh, I'm sure a lot of what he's talking about gets on the agenda at the local bar uh, or at the family gathering on a weekend or at the kids' sports activities or whatever. So he's helping establish the news agenda uh, in our nation now, and I think the legacy media should look and say, why is this guy generating so much news agenda attention at our expense? Yeah, that was my next question, Jeff. Um, You know, in, in most businesses, success like Rogan's would cause his competitors to try to emulate what he's doing, or or have they not yet reached the point where they consider him a serious competitor for what they're trying to do? Well, they probably haven't yet, uh, but I think they should take him seriously. Uh, and, I, and, and not just specifically Rogan, but I think the notion that people want to talk about things on their minds and look at news agenda items that are not filtered through the establishment media. And I think that's the key here is, you know, Rogan is kind of leading the, the charge on this, but there are lots of other people out there now too who are trying to do podcasts and trying to have a say in the news agenda other than what the New York Times or CBS News tells us. So, so what, what should the big guns in the media, including Fox, because he's, he's, he's tripling Tucker Carlson's numbers too, 
what should the big guns in the media take from his success? I mean, um, they you've just described a lot of the reasons for his success, but what can they take from what he's doing and apply it to what they do? I think they should look out there and say, who is, who is attracted to listening to what a guy like Rogan has to say? And why are they going to him and not watching Good Morning America or CNN primetime with, uh, you know, Anderson Cooper or whatever? And I think that, I, I, but, you know, we've talked about this before. The mainstream media have a very hard time looking in the mirror and, and doing a careful assessment of themselves. And so uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if in CNN Tower they're just sitting there going, oh, who cares what Rogan's doing? You know, we certainly know what we're doing as our ratings crater. Um, and it is worth noting, of course, that across the board, uh, news viewership is down. The network news programs in the early evening are all down in ratings. You know, CNN's down, MSNBC's down. Engagement with news websites is down over the last year. And part of that's just because of it's not an election year. But even though 2021 has not been an election year, it's not like there hasn't been a ton of news out there. Okay, we've had, you know, COVID going on, we've had economic problems, you've had Afghanistan, you've got the crisis at the border. But part of the thing is, the establishment media don't want to cover those things, or they certainly don't want to cover them with a straight face, or with a fair shake. And so it's no wonder people are looking for other folks to go to get a a, a take on the news, and uh, 11 million of them are going to Rogan. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, social media. Uh, he knows, uh, he said just a couple of days ago, that he knows he's in danger every day of being uh, deplatformed by Twitter. Many of his guests who, who come on have already been deplatformed somewhere, and that's why, he, that's why he's giving them you know, a chance to speak, because YouTube or Twitter or somebody has canceled them. So he joined Getter just a couple of days ago, and their subscribers, at last I looked, had increased by about a half a million in a day or two. So he is a beast, isn't he? He is a beast, and you know what he says matters. But again, this is one of those things where he has latched on to something that makes the, the, the news-consuming public quite interested and curious. He talks to people who are being censored by the big tech media organizations. And that shows to me that, number one, he recognizes that those people should have a say. And that when the people go to hear Rogan and that he's talking to people who've been booted off of Twitter, that maybe they want to hear what these folks have to say. And I know the most recent um, situation was this Dr. Robert Malone, uh, who's been a a critic of uh, administration COVID policies and vaccination and stuff like that. And I mean, he's a medical doctor who does some research in the vaccination world. And I don't want to go all technical on that kind of stuff because I'm not a doctor myself. Um, well, actually, I am a doctor, but not of medicine. <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but Malone is a guy, you know, who's been censored and stifled by all the traditional media outlets. And you'll see him once in a while, like on Laura Ingram or something like that. But CNN would never talk to this guy, I'm sure. MSNBC would never talk to him. The New York Times is not going to interview him to get his perspective. But Rogan will. And I think that what that sh- shows us is that there is an audience out there that wants to hear something other than the mainstream pre-approved narratives on any range of topics. Because Rogan talks about a wide range of things, and people are interested in a wide range of things. And if, if you're looking to understand the world we live in by only looking on what the news agenda is for uh, you know, ABC World News Tonight or the front page of the Washington Post, you're going to be missing out on a lot of stuff. And I think that's what the news-consuming public is finally latching on to, is that they're getting worked. They're getting worked by a handful of elitist East Coast journalists who think that they know better than everybody else and that it's their decision as to what the rest of us around the country should learn. And I think, you know, Rogan is just one illustration of the fact that when you talk about other things, people are going to go there and want to find out because they don't want to have their news agenda narrowed, which I think has happened by, as I always say, the establishment media. We're talking to Jeff McCall. He's a professor of communications at DePaul University, also writes for The Hill and FoxNews.com on the media. 
Uh, the, another thing, and I would think that if you're a, if you know if you're paying attention at all, and you're a, uh, an executive at any kind of a media outlet, uh, you if you were paying attention to what's happening with Joe Rogan and, and other podcasters, um, as soon as we cancel somebody, they show up on Joe Ray, Rogan, and he gets he gets forty million people. <laughs> so. Uh, they, they, are they get uh, what will it take for them to get the clue that the more they cancel someone, the more uh, publicity that person is going to end up getting? Because if I'm canceled by CNN and the CNN doesn't want to talk to me, and, and Joe Rogan puts me on, I'm talking to five times at least five times more people on CNN on, on his podcast than I would talk to on CNN anyway. Well, and you make a great point there because the the left leaning world out there has never figured out that every time you try to shut up people, whether it's, well, whether it's Rogan's guests or Rogan himself, uh, anytime the left-leaning media or big tech uh, try to shut people up, they're actually elevating their profile amongst the more rational people who still, I would like to think, believe that robust and wide-ranging discussion best serves the interest of our nation's democracy. And when you get right down to it, stifling points of view has never worked effectively in any uh, free society ever. And I think that uh, we all should take a lesson from what Rogan's doing here to say he's empowering people to speak. He's giving kind of freedom to people who want to listen as well. And that we should all take a lesson that when big tech tries to shut people up or the major networks try to shut people up, uh, that they're actually counterproductive to what their mission should be. I mean, they should be empowering people to speak more broadly. And in fact, you think of these big tech companies like Twitter that, you know, kicked off Robert Malone recently and that sort of thing. Those organizations were set up presumably to provide platforms for people to engage in the public sphere. And then they set them up and then people start engaging in the public sphere. And then they go, Oh, well, but you can't say this, or we don't want to hear that, or this doesn't fit our pre-approved narrative as if Jeff Zuckerberg or somebody knows what's best for us to learn. And I think that's one of the real keys here is that in the history of Western democracies, the flow of information has to be respected and appreciated as a philosophical foundation. And any time you try to like stifle or restrict that flow, you're really, you know, leading to authoritarianism and authoritarianism is not good you know, whether it's a, a Middle Eastern dictator or a Central American dictator or whether it's, in a sense, a dictator running a big social media organization or a platform in the United States. It's almost gotten to the point, Jeff, <clears throat> excuse me, where uh, you could wake up in the morning and say uh, could, someone could just print a list of the people who were canceled last night. And those are the people I'm going to listen to today. Who was kicked off Twitter yesterday? Uh, I got to find them because I want to hear what they're talking about. Whatever they kicked them off for, I'm pretty sure I want to hear what they're saying. Yeah, and Congresswoman Green from Georgia, you know, has been stifled in so many different ways. And I'm just thinking that has not worked to really shut her up. I mean, she still has a platform. People are still interested in her, and she's going to get her two cents worth in. And and frankly, for anybody that they think is too radical to be able to be on a social media platform or on a network broadcast or in a major news organization's, you know, web page or whatever, I would say, let them have their say. <laughs> because actually when you stifle them, it, it, it's not like in the United States, they have no other avenues to go. Right. And so they're going to find those other avenues and it's going to, uh, it's going to draw a crowd to them at some point. And Rogan's helping doing that. As we mentioned earlier, he's helping do that, but it also then makes them martyr figures. And it also exposes these people that they are certainly anti-First Amendment, they're anti-free speech, and whenever you're opposed to the free flow of ideas, you're really endorsing an authoritarianism uh, that is really unhealthy in our nation. There was a time when a guy drawing an audience like uh, Rogan is drawing, uh, that, that there would be f the, he would have to be fighting off media outlets wanting to hire him. Uh, those right. days are over, aren't they? Yeah, those days are over because I don't think any of the establishment media would actually bring him on. And honestly, by now, that might not even be to his advantage. What's he need them for? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't need them at this point. He's got his audience. He's got his platform. 
And uh, I, I don't know how, how financially lucrative it is for yeah. him, but certainly it must be, he must be doing pretty well or he'd be leveraging some other way to, to make that money. So obviously uh, he's, he's leveraged it as far as he wants to in terms of financial benefit and also uh, social outreach and clout. And I think that he's an interesting case study, as we've talked about, and I would think that the, the news organizations out there, the establishment media, should try to learn from his accomplishments and also to try to figure out how he has reached audiences that they just can't reach anymore. And it'd be, this would be a great study if you could find a way to do it, to identify those 11 million people who absorb the Rogan podcast every day and find out what other media outlets they're going to yeah. or where else they get their information from. Mm -hmm. And my guess is a lot of these people are not heavy news consumers from other media outlets. They are probably going, Rogan's the guy, I trust him, that's if he's it. talking yeah. about it, I'm interested, and I don't need to tune in the Today Show tomorrow to hear somebody giggling. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, are we entering or already in uh, an era of bottom-up media where individuals call the shots and have the power instead of news executives and producers? In other words, the person in front of the camera uh, or behind the microphone is the person calling the shots. No bosses, no management, and uh, just winging it. Well, there's a lot of that going on on the Internet now. And, uh, you know, I work at a university. Um, a lot of college students want to do their own podcasts these days, and mm -hmm. they want to get their voice out there. And I, I'd say we're not quite to that point yet. Uh, the establishment media still have a ton of clout. They still are largely setting the news agenda in spite of guys like Rogan out there. Uh, they still have a lot of resources. Uh, but uh, I would like to think that they should learn from this and be more interested in what the bottom-up is trying to tell them. And if they aren't, at some point, I would like to hope also that the rank-and-file citizenry would just stop tuning out altogether. I mean, when I saw earlier today that the uh, the ratings for the major three broadcast networks, six, uh, 630 newscasts, had all declined over the last quarter, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, there was a time I used to think, oh, that's bad, people are not engaged with the news anymore. But now I look at that and I think, good. People are going someplace else where they're not going to be worked so much. Yeah. I only have a minute left. Real quick, uh, TV news looks a lot different now from what it was 25 or 30 years ago before the emergence of cable news. Is it safe to say that the change is going to be even more drastic between now and 25 years from now? Got about a minute. Oh, yeah. I, I would think in 25 years from now, we probably won't even see any of the three major broadcast networks uh, broadcasting. I mean, broadcast probably won't even uh, exist. Uh, nobody will be tuning into Lester Holt at 6.30 in the evening. Right. Uh, and, you know, frankly, that, that's maybe a good thing by now, because I think those people lost their franchise when they lost the trust of the people, and I think it's pretty clear that credibility in the traditional media has declined so much. Now, what will replace that is still somewhat in flux, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that there will be some replacement kinds of news agenda setters and information providers that will be more trustworthy and won't, you know, piddle away the trust that the big three networks had for a long time and the major network or the major uh, news dailies, the Washington Post and the New York Times. I hope that uh, there'll be something to replace them because they need to be replaced because the journalism industry is, is dying and probably needs to be dead sooner than later. Hey, Jeff, always great to have you on. Great stuff as usual. Uh, Jeff McCall, professor of communications at DePaul University. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back. have the same energy they used to? Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dinovite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dinovite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dinovite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today's commercial pet food are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics 
foods that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dynavite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dynavite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. If you have unfiled taxes or are in debt to the IRS, this is important news. The IRS just rolled out a new program to help struggling taxpayers more easily resolve their tax problems. It's called the Taxpayer Relief Initiative, and it opens up powerful new options for people looking to get back on the right track with the IRS. And no one knows this program like the professionals at Optima Tax Relief, America's most trusted tax resolution company. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients and have the expertise and experience to help you. One easy call to Optima can start the process, helping to put an end to your worries of wage garnishment, asset seizure, and other aggressive IRS actions. Make today the beginning of your fresh start with the IRS. Call the experts at Optima Tax Relief now for your free confidential consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and 92.5. The answer. Well, speaking of the media and uh, social media, uh, Victoria Taft, uh, she's a, uh, a frequent guest, been a frequent guest on this show. She has a piece up at PJMedia.com right now about how Facebook has been involved in the local news business. Uh, not just local TV news, but local newspapers, you know, that are, that are dying everywhere. Uh, local news is a joke now, mostly, uh, and has nowhere near the audience it used to have. But Mark Zuckerberg is, has been paying reporters to work for local news outlets so that the stories that he likes will get done. And uh, it's even called Zuckerbucks. I can think of something else that you could call it, but uh, I'm not going to say it here. Uh, but that... That's what they're called, and I, um, I, I, I give, give Victoria a call, see if I can get her on to talk about this tomorrow, but it's pretty interesting that he's been involved in spending lots and lots of money to influence not just local news, and, uh, and, and Victoria makes the comparison to what he did with the elections, which was spend millions and millions of dollars to try to affect the uh, 2020 election, and he probably was, was successful at it with uh, getting people hired locally to run elections the way he wants to see them run. But that's something else to think about. Maybe I'll have uh, Victoria on tomorrow, uh, but we'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow anyway. Zuckerbucks. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.